Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. How you feeling, Marshall? Like it's time to podcast. It's time. You know what? Loosen the tie. Oh, good call. Yeah, me too. It's oh. fancy day at the podcast. <laughs> fancy, fancy day. We had a funeral today, so we were in our black suits doing our thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Looking different than we normally do. <laughs> I... Yes. You know, I got to say, okay, I've had so many people reach out about the history podcast mm. and say good things. Well, I, good. Even if they say they're listening, I could count that as a good thing. Right. Um, that's encouraging. That's exciting. Yeah, that's been exciting. You know what? We kind of wondered if this was going to be a bit of a niche thing mm-hmm. that people are going to be like, mm, not my thing. But it seems like people are listening. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it's exciting. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? Today, we are going to talk about apologetics. Apologetics. The first apologists who did apologetics. Uh, standout character is going to be a guy by the name of Justin Martyr, but we'll get to him in a minute. We will. And by the way, apologetics is not connected to apologizing. Not really, no. I've, I've had people think we shouldn't be apologetic about... The things that we believe, we should be bold. And <laughs> and in some swift, beautiful irony, mm-hmm. to be apologetic is to be bold. It is. <laughs> let let your brain let your brain soak that one. Yeah. In. I mean, so that like when we're doing apologetics, we're it's not that we're necessarily apologizing, but we're giving a reason. Right. We're giving reason to what we believe. And so that's the connection with the word apology, because you're giving a reason why you didn't do something Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah anyways anyways i just thought i'd throw you for a loop yeah it worked (laughs) whatever (laughs) all right let's catch up where we where are we at okay because we haven't moved that much in rome not really no no where we finished um last episode in regards to our friend polycarp uh we're around the same time so we're we're still Mm -hmm. talking about that kind of era in history we're in the second century kind of the mid second century somewhere in there and uh big picture we don't have to go into great detail about you know the historical situation or the political situation in rome but it's a time of relative stability in rome unlike last episode where they're just flip-flopping yeah yeah all over the place emperors coming and going um a lot of the emperors in this era um rule for like 20 years and Mm -hmm. die of natural causes which is you know a rarity sometimes for roman emperors and uh, it's actually a period where there's kind of five emperors in a row that are known as the five good emperors. Now, good being a relative term, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not good if you're a Christian. <laughs> but as far as the stability and peace in Rome, good by that standard. Right. Stable. Yeah. Stable. Stability. Yeah. And and through this, persecution continues. Mm-hmm. But it's not the way that you might expect it to go. So persecution is intense. Maybe not Nero intense. No. But it's it's not something that is just always in their face. I, I would mm-hmm. I would say it from my readings, what what I've come to see it from it is this. It was always a an ever present threat but not an ever-present reality. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it kind of ebbed and flowed. It, you know, there could be one region of the Roman Empire where there'd be pretty significant persecution happening, another region where Christians were essentially left alone. And it, even town to town, city to city, it could vary, just depending on who happened to be the local authority mm-hmm. and uh, what their feelings were about the Christians. Yeah, there are a number of theories of why the fluctuation, but mm-hmm. it was not a given. Mm-hmm but always a potential. Yeah, and there were flare-ups as I was kind of studying the history. Like, there were flare-ups with the persecution. Like, there's instances where, for whatever reason, a mob in some town just goes like, we're done with these Christians, and they just like, you know, grab your torches and pitchforks kind of thing, and and it gets real messy. But again, those are kind of like isolated incidents. Usually people who are being persecuted and even executed for their faith, it's individuals being brought forward to a court 
being mm-hmm. accused generally by someone who's ticked off at them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of one of these things. It's like, you know, you have a business grievance with someone who happens to be a Christian and rather than deal with your business grievance, you're just like, Hey, Mr. Governor, by the way, that person's a Christian. So, right. right. And even if the governor doesn't care, they're like, well, he's a Christian. You have to do something about it. Right. And so it, it became in some instances, this sort of, yeah, way to blame people, but it, it also became this sort of loophole, get at someone kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the persecution of of the era. And the era we're talking about, 125, 175-ish? Yeah, yeah. Kind of where we're at? Yeah, the kind of the, that, the middle chunk of, of the, the second, se- yeah, of second, second century. century. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. What else? Yeah, I mean, in regards to the persecution, I mean, you can read different stories. There was a story about a woman named uh, Felicitas. She she actually was an interesting person. She was a consecrated widow, which essentially was in the early church. There were certain women because being being a widow at a relatively young age was a much more common thing than it is today. And so she essentially would just devote her time to ministering in various ways in church, caring for the poor and that sort of thing, the sick. And then they would kind of support her. So she was a special lady in in the local church. Um, she was the mother of seven sons. Um, and they were all executed, um, actually. Um, yeah, so it's like there's some, there's these there's these stories about these people, like these individual heroes. Like, obviously, we talk about these big-time players, these bishops and these, you know, um, apologists and these, these movers and shakers in the church. But sometimes it's just everyday people mm-hmm. who just you know, are dying for their faith um, and, and haven't done anything wrong other than just hold to the name of Jesus. Yeah. And martyr is an interesting word. Mm. It's a Greek word. It is. That just goes untranslated. Mm-hmm. It appears in scripture. Martureo. Multiple times. Does. Including in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be my martyrs mm-hmm. in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It just simply means the witness. Yeah. Uh, and it's used in a technical term. Mm-hmm. When Jesus is brought before Pilate, the, uh, the Jews will say, we have witnesses. Do we need anything more? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the word martyr is used differently now. You wouldn't say to anyone who's a witness of something that they're a martyr. It's come to mean something specific because of these people, Mm -hmm. right? They were witnesses. They were martyrs. And for it, they were put to death. Yeah. And so when we think of the word martyr as someone who dies for their faith, Mm -hmm. who dies for their witness, um, the boldness that came with that is just that they were just being witnesses. Yeah. And that was enough for it, it in this persecution to to have the word, the word changes its meaning. Yeah. Because if you look at the word martyr, you're going to find something of someone who dies for a cause, mm-hmm. particularly a religious cause, right? But if you look it up in your lexicon. In the New Testament. In your English, Greek, New Testament lexicons, mm-hmm. it's going to say something entirely different. It's just going to say a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word changes its meaning because of the faithfulness of these people through yeah. persecution. Yeah, no, that's a good point to make. Yeah, and so the question becomes, why the persecution? And we touched on that a little bit. I mean, it had to do with faithfulness to the Roman Empire and that sort of thing. Um, but what we also need to understand is that at this time in early church history, there's a lot of outlandish rumors that are being spread about um, regarding the Christians and what they do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these rumors can be a catalyst for what turns public opinion against the the believers. And interestingly, they're, they're not, they're half-truths. Right. That's what these rumors are. They're half-truths. There's a little bit of something to it, mm-hmm. but it's not what you think it is. Right. It's the kind of rumor you'd come up with if you were listening through a door and only heard part of the conversation and just ran with it. Right. 
Right. Yeah. No one, and this is the kind of thing people are dying for. No one, no one is sitting down and listening, being like, let me hear you out. What do you mean when you say that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, it's just like, I heard a thing. <laughs> Do something about it. Yeah. Well, we we have to remember too, is like the, when the early church was gathering together for worship, they, it was generally done in a very private yep. way, right? So outsiders were kind of excluded more for self-preservation purposes, right? And right. so if there was going to be evangelism and that sort of thing, it didn't necessarily happen within the context of the, the gathering, mm-hmm. sure. the, right? So they would get together and like one of the common terms of the day was they would get together for what they called a love feast, mm-hmm. right? And and so at these love feasts, these people who called each other brother and sister got together for these love feasts, right? right? And so... You know, uh, people were like, oh, well, what these are is these like incestuous orgy things that the Christians are doing. Aren't they so messed up? Look, they're calling this guy lives with this woman who looks like his wife, but he calls her his sister. Like, what's up with that? And while they're at the feasts, they take bread and wine Mm -hmm. and they say this is his body Mm -hmm. and this is his blood, which is given to us. Take and eat Mm -hmm. and do so as often as you remember Yeah. And so they would accuse him of cannibalism. There's a really weird uh, variation of that rumor, actually, that was circulated that's recorded is that they they believe that because sometimes sometimes Christ is referred to as as a child. Right. Like in in certain parts of scripture or whatever, um, they believe that they would like like this is kind of gross people. So trigger warning. They would like bake a baby into a loaf of bread and eat the like it was just weird, like this weird, messed up, really twisted, gross stuff all out of understanding a little bit about what was going on, but not really, like you said, taking the time to sit down and actually figure out like, okay, what is it that you're doing? Right. And so the, the rumors just allowed to go wild. And so, so rather than saying, no, we're not actually brothers and sisters. That's just, we call each other that because we have the common father, Mm -hmm. our God. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, no, maybe, transubstantiationists would disagree but instead of saying well it's not actually the flesh and blood right um it's it's a symbol that he's given to us right right uh we we talk about these things and they're just common right but you imagine someone listening through the door who's already suspicious of this secret meeting that you're having Mm -hmm. and they're like it's a cannibalistic incest cult Mm -hmm. yeah and that's worth calling the authorities over right (laughs) fair enough now there now there were some admittedly there were some who maybe did take some time to kind of at least scratch the surface of what Christian teaching was about but a lot of a lot of the kind of elite educated uh, classes in in the Roman Empire really struggled with Christianity for a variety of reasons one was mm-hmm. one was kind of just like um, like class prejudice so so a lot of a lot of the early growth in the church was amongst kind of the poor the slaves, the working class people, right? Um, you know, they were eager to receive the news. And, and so, and, and even some of them would then become teachers and leaders within these local congregations. And so a, you know, an upper class, highly educated Roman philosopher looks at a movement where you have a, a blacksmith who's an elder in his church. And they're like, who's that guy to, say anything meaningful about anything right right so part of it was there was a classist element too of being like well i i don't give a wit about what a a normal person has to say right right if they're not of a a certain social standing then anything they say is suspect right because of my wealth or because of my bloodline i'm special Mm -hmm. and and in in the platonic concept of people being right the idea under Plato, was you're born to your stage and you stay there. Mm. And to try to go forward or backward is bad for you and everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And that is a particularly good theory when you're at the top. (laughs) It is. Right? (laughs) What do you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so so that people were able to say, hey, you know what? No, we're all equals, Mm -hmm. right? Neither slave nor free. Mm-hmm. Jew nor Gentile, male or female, mm-hmm. we're equals in this. 
Christ died equally for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't jive well yeah. when your message has been, the lucky, lucky for you, you're at the bottom, right where you're supposed to be. <laughs> and the best thing you can do for yourself is to stay there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'll stay where I am, mm-hmm. right here at the top. There's also a bit of a, a racial prejudice because those people who actually took the time to get to know about Christianity a little bit um, understood that there was a basis of Jewish writing, mm-hmm. writings uh, underneath the, this Christian movement, uh, which was spreading amongst the, the Greek and Romans. And the, the Jews were barbarians in the Roman mindset. Mm-hmm. In fact, anyone who wasn't kind of Greco-Roman was a barbarian. Right. Right. Like, regardless, um, you know, even these, even these civilizations that like gave them their understanding of like mathematics right. and like writing and all these things, they were barbarians. Because so we're, how- we're only a hundred years past the Jews being kicked out of Rome. Not even. Yeah. yeah. And we're only about 70 years since they have been destroyed mm. in, uh, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's still tension. There's people still remember. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and they have, you know, all these other theological issues, right? You know, if Jesus was the son of God, why would he let himself be crucified? That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense, right? If he's powerful, he would assert his dominance, right? Um, or like issues regarding the resurrection. Like if, if, what about people whose bodies are burned? What about who people's whose bodies are eaten by animals? How can God resurrect their body? Right. It's like, well, that that's because your concept of an all-powerful creator or you don't have a concept of an all-powerful creator, right? Like that, that something like that would be beyond him, the one who created the universe out of nothing, right? Mm. So like for us, we're like, well, no, obviously God can resurrect someone's body even if it's decomposed or scattered or whatever. Um, but the, these were the questions that they would kind of bring against to be like, you know, either it was these ridiculous rumors or it was coming out of prejudice or it was like, you know, these theological issues that... <laughs> That they did, they couldn't overcome because there was a worldview difference, I guess. So, yeah, it, the one of the history books I was reading on this, in particular, talking about Justin, but I, I think it spans beyond Justin. He was talking about the battle lines of the apologist, mm. and he said the battle lines of the apologist in their day, I would, I would say, are still true today. Mm. Uh, pagan intellectuals, yep, which is the one you just alluded to, mm-hmm. the Jews, mm-hmm. which is what most of the New Testament is anyway. Sure. Um, the heretics. Yep. We're going to get into the heretics more next week. Yeah. Um, and the state itself, mm-hmm. Rome. Yeah. Um, so these are these are the four battle lines of the early apologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? Like, like you kind of alluded to, hasn't really changed, actually. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the same today. All of these lines, they have, they've come in different degrees. Right. So, for example, the primary at the time was probably the state, mm-hmm. which isn't the case now. No, I wouldn't say so. Um, and so that's changed. What I hope people take from this episode is an appreciation for the concept of apologetics. Mm-hmm. To know that it's a good thing and it's an ancient thing. Because I feel like what what can happen with apologetics is people are like, oh, what you mean by that is professors debating and it's pointless, right? <laughs> professors debating, I don't understand half of what's said and it never goes anywhere. It doesn't make any sense. You should just have faith. And and sometimes reason is seen as an antithesis of faith. Yeah. Apologetics are not new and they shouldn't be feared. Agree. And here, here are my reasonings. These are some things that I've written down that people have come to me in a modern con- context and said. And the answer to them is a solid platform of apologetics. Number one, I don't talk to my family, friends, coworkers, what have you, about Jesus because I'm scared they might ask a question that I can't answer. Hmm. Your answer? You study some apologetics. Yeah. Uh, my kid heard from a professor at the university saying some things, and now they don't believe. Mm. What do I say to them? You and your kid 
would benefit from apologetics. Yeah. Uh, my friend shared an article, and now my slash their faith is shaken. Mm. Right? Uh, the government is doing a thing. How do we respond? Mm. My friend goes to this church, but they teach strange things. What do I do with that? Mm. Is it just okay because we're all Christians? I mean, they still believe in Jesus, right? But what do they believe about Jesus? Right. Uh, and lastly, I heard that Jesus is just another version of, and then insert a historical myth. Yeah. Some Jesus is God. just another Osiris. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, these kinds of things that rattle faith. Mm-hmm. And what do I do about these things? Mm-hmm. You answer them. You study them and you answer them. Mm-hmm. That's all apologetics is. Yeah. Being able to give a historical reasoning, a scientific reasoning for why faith is still valid. Yeah. And I think the thing is like we have to we have to remind ourselves that in the broad spectrum of church history, there are there are certain ways in which living in western culture today has some similarities to living in the Roman Empire pre-conversion mm-hmm. of, you know, of, of kind of the, the Constantine and whatnot. Like, we are a minority mm-hmm. living in a very large, multi-ethnic, uh, relativistic culture, mm-hmm. right? And And we need to be able to answer these deep questions and criticisms of our faith. The beauty of, you know, if a hundred years ago in this country, you probably didn't have to, at least not as regularly. Let's be honest, right? Yeah, I would agree. You didn't, there just wasn't a, you know, I'm not to say that there weren't apologists and there weren't people doing that work to some degree, but it it just, it wasn't as in your face. It wasn't as relevant and practical for everyday people. Absolutely. High schools and universities weren't indoctrinating our, our, the next generation with secularism. Right. Right. I mean, heck, not even universities, primary schools. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Like, so, so this is like, this is something that we need to be prepared for and doing apologetics is how we respond. Um, so in this context of the second century AD, there were a number of these uh, Christian thinkers who kind of rose to prominence, but none was probably more famous than Justin Martyr. Yeah. If, if we go through this whole episode and you hear one name, it's Justin. Mm-hmm. By the way, his last name wasn't Martyr. <laughs> yeah. It was a title that he got. <laughs> Not to spoil how the story ends. <laughs> it's how most of the stories end at this point in church right. history. Right. So Justin comes to Christianity, mm-hmm. not as a child. Uh, he comes to it through reason. Yeah. Right? Which is not uncommon. No. Uh, he he ends up calling Christianity the one true philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right? So... In his desire to study philosophy and to find truth, he finds Jesus. Yeah. He had floated kind of from one school of philosophy to another. Right. Um, he was a student of Aristotle, mm-hmm. Plato. The Stoics. The Stoics. Mm-hmm. And, and he lands in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes people want to take philosophy applied to Christianity and say, no bad run. Mm. Right? Here's the thing. Philosophy is the pursuit of truth. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not only the way, he's also the truth. Amen. And if you are going to pursue truth and find it, you will have found Jesus. And so we, we need to stop fearing these people who are saying, I'm trying to think. And I'm trying to pursue truth and say to them, no, just believe. Right. Because it's one, it's unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Two, you're undermining your own cause because what you're telling them is <laughs> don't pursue truth because then you won't find Jesus. Right. Yeah. Right. That doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Tell them, all right, walk that road. Mm-hmm. Let me walk that road with you. I already know what's waiting at the end. This is exactly the same road that Jerome is going to walk later. Mm-hmm. That Augustine is going to walk, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. right? C.S. Lewis debating Christians, 
decides he's going to get ready to do a radio broadcast. In the middle of his study of Christianity and Christian thought goes, these guys are onto something. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit changes his heart. Yeah. And he produces mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right? This is countless others have come to Christ through the pursuit of philosophy. And and Justin is in some ways the father of that. Hmm. The first of these, not in preeminence, but chronologically. Sure. Uh, and it's, it's just an incredible thing that yeah. we need to, uh, not be afraid of. Mm-hmm. He actually, so Justin, um, as he is kind of growing in his faith after being convinced of the one true philosophy, uh, he actually sets up a bit of a school in Rome. Um, not, not a school in the sense that we would understand them now, but, but a gathering of students underneath him where he is kind of teaching them apologetics. And again, of all places. Under the nose of the empire, right? Like at the heart of it all. Like it's crazy. It's bold. It is bold. It's so bold. It is. It is. And uh, and so he's he sets up this school and he's engaging in public debate mm-hmm. with other philosophers, right? Uh, we have some of his written works. And, and, and some of these things he's writing, like he's writing, like his first apology, he writes it to the emperor. Right. He's like, okay, you know, talk like people like writing the prime minister a letter like this dude wrote the emperor of Rome and I think the Senate as well. They got one, too. He wrote them a letter. Not anonymously. No. And not a short one. Right. Like 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 chapters long synopsis of like this is what the Christian faith is all about. And this is why you you don't need to persecute us. And I, I think that is important. Mm hmm. Yes, he's bold to do this from Rome, to mm-hmm. sign his name to it, and to send it to the leaders. Mm-hmm. But he is also humble in that what he is doing is he is pleading for the life of his people mm-hmm. and for coexistence. Mm-hmm. He's not being brash and maverick and being like... Yeah, he's not saying turn or burn. This is why you're stupid. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. What he's saying is, I, I think the reason you are are persecuting the Christians is because you don't necessarily have a full picture of what we're all about and what Mm -hmm. it is that we do. Let me take some time to explain that to you and hopefully that will change your mind. Absolutely. That's essentially where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and some of the things he, he writes in this, in this letter, right. I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing and paraphrasing to an extreme here, Uh, but he kind of, he asked him, he's like, you know, don't, don't just punish people for, a name they identify with, right? Like punish people if they're doing evil deeds. Right. And these people aren't doing anything evil other than just mm-hmm. holding to the name of Christ. And you're going to punish them for that. And he lists out the the peaceful works mm-hmm. that they're called to and the, the charity that the church is, mm-hmm. is promoting. Yeah. And, and we mentioned before that Christians are referred to often as atheists. He's like, they're not atheists. Yeah. The, the reason for the atheist claim is just because they denied the Roman gods. Right. And so the idea, the word was being misused then. It wasn't that an, an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God or gods mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they misapply them uh, because to not worship the emperor is an offense, mm-hmm. a punishable offense, a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And so to call them atheists is a shortcut and a miscommunication. Right. Yeah. Well, and so the disloyalty to the empire is, is a big beef that the Roman establishment has with the church. But mm-hmm. Justin actually addresses that too. And he's like, look, they're not, they're not trying to set up a different earthly kingdom. No, nope. they're not, they're not supporting like Parthia or the German tribes. Right? It's not, it has nothing to do with that. And in fact, um, we are being loyal because we pray for the emperor. What the emperor really needs is for us to pray on his behalf to the one true God. Right. And, the- and so we're being loyal in the best way that we know how. The teachings of Jesus yeah. give to Caesar. Yeah, we don't. We're not worshiping him because that's. We don't believe that's what's best for him. What's best for him is that we pray on, pray for him, mm-hmm. to the one true God. Right. So these are the kinds of things that he's talking about. Right. Um, he gets into something that I think we need to chat about for a couple minutes, anyways. Uh, is this discussion about Christ and the Logos? Right. Um, and the Logos. Why don't you tell us what the Logos is, Tim? Okay. So. 
the Logos is something that a lot of people in church circles are going to have heard mm-hmm. because they know that it's the word. It's great software. No, that's sorry. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very small few percentage of our listeners are going to get that reference, but that's fine. Everyone who gets that reference is a pastor <laughs> and educated in church history and not listening to this. But the uh, the logos is used in John one one, very famously. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the word. What that means is the message, mm-hmm. the concept, mm. right? The truth. Yeah. This is something that Plato had been talking about before John. The idea that there is a logos, this uh, this idea of truth, the message of truth that is out there to be known. Mm-hmm. And that philosophy is the pursuit of the logos. Mm-hmm. And so when John says... Anarche and Kologos. For a Greek, there's a little bit of extra in that. Mm. For someone who's studying philosophy, for Justin, someone like Justin, there's a little bit of extra in that, right? Mm. It, it's not just the message of God. It's that understood message of truth that we've been pursuing mm-hmm. since Plato. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the highest form of truth, the answer to all the questions is, was in the beginning and was God, right? And so, and has become flesh. And this is this whole thing, right? Yeah. And at that point, like, it's good anyway. I Mm. mean, who am I to praise John for the opening of his gospel? It's incredible. But it is good. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time. Not bad for a fisherman, eh? (laughs) But at the same time, to read it with those things in mind, Mm -hmm. it, it it's a different level of chill. Oh yeah, like oh, yeah. just the chills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what? What he kind of gets at is like, look, Christ is the logos, and this thing that's been discussed by Greek philosophers that they've been pointing themselves to and trying to figure out and trying to discern, like they, it was Christ. Like that. That's that's what all that this whole, uh, especially like. Um, we can talk about like Plato and, and, and the the schools of thought that came from him. Like this is what they were, this is what they were trying to get at. And now it's come. Now it's arrived. This is the answer. They didn't know what the answer was. They knew there was an answer. They had some vague concept of something. And now that, that the substance to those questions is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of connecting it with that to say like, this isn't something that, that should be entirely foreign to us Yeah, because there's a sense in which, we knew deep down that there must be something like this. We just didn't have the full picture yet. Yeah, and his his concept is to talk about these as seeds. Mm-hmm. All of the thinkers that had come before had seeds of the Logos. In fact, inside of every person, there are seeds of the Logos. Mm-hmm. They, they bear with them some unblossomed, unrealized bit of truth of who God is Mm -hmm. and what he's about. And Jesus is the embodiment of that. And the Christian message is the revelation of that. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what's going to happen. Right now, there's someone going, oh, Justin's a heretic. Because (laughs) anytime you want to associate Aristotle or Plato or any external worldview mm-hmm. with your Christian worldview, it has to be wrong mm-hmm. and like aggressively. So what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? And, I, and I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's a future episode. I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with that and say, I am in no way Muslim, mm-hmm. but if a Muslim says it's a beautiful day, I can acknowledge without any threat against my faith, Mm-hmm. that it is a nice day. I don't mm-hmm. have to go, oh, it must be raining because he has to be exactly wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And and I, I think what Justin is getting at here is the concept that we have in Romans chapter 1 where it says, heavens and the earth declare that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Right? There is natural revelation. There is general 
revelation and this understanding that there is something more. Justin is saying you're right in the pursuit of there is something more. You're wrong in what you think that might have been. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so before every, every time, every time, it even happens with Augustine 300 years later, mm-hmm. Plato gets mentioned. And people are like, oh, take that baby and its bathwater and chuck it. <laughs> and it's just not necessary. Yeah. It's okay to say, yeah, they didn't they didn't get to a right conclusion, but they asked some good questions along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what Justin is getting at. Yeah, for sure. He's saying inside of every person is this desire to understand truth. Those are seeds. Mm-hmm. And the pursuit of that truth started opening things up and paved a way mm-hmm. so that when the truth, the logos, entered, embodied and speaking, we were there to receive it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, like, I, I feel relatively comfortable saying that in some ways that maybe we only understand in part, God used the development of philosophy in Greece as a way to prepare the soil for the gospel. Paul in Athens. Yeah. Yeah, totally. God sets up in this realm of false gods mm-hmm. to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. I believe God causes them to say, what if we missed one? Mm. Let's build a temple, a shrine, whatever, to a God we don't know. So that Paul could come in and go, it's oh. That, it's that one. <laughs> Can I help you with this? Right, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what Justin's doing. Mm-hmm. Justin's saying, this logos that you've pursued, that it, to this point has not been declared, right? Like Plato doesn't get to the point that he's like, I know exactly what the logos is and it's this, mm-hmm. right? It's a theoretical concept mm-hmm. of ultimate truth. And Justin says, no, it's revealed and fulfilled. Right. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Justin wrote some other things. Probably his second most famous work is something called The Dialogue with Trifo, who was a Jewish rabbi. They're not sure whether or not like this is the recording of an actual dialogue between he and the rabbi, or Justin is writing a work in the shape of a dialogue to unpack how Christians answer these philosophical and religious questions that a learned Jew might have. Right. Right. So we, so there's debate on like how, how the form came to be, but in any case, it, it handles some areas of contention between contemporary Jews of that day and the Christians and also handles some of the circumstances amongst the Jewish believers in particular and how that was working. And, you know, kind of now that we're into second, third, fourth generation of, of Christianity uh, working its way, you know, through the, through the Roman world. Um, so, so anyways, he, he has, he has a few different works. Um, ultimately though, uh, Justin earns his, his namesake and is, is martyred. Mm-hmm. Um, he also writes some eschatology. Does he really? Yeah. He does. A, he does a couple of things. Okay. That's cool. Uh, so outside of just a apologetic, and, and here's the other thing. Sometimes people are like apologetics is just this niche thing. Mm. Um, but it's, it can't be. Mm. Right. In order to be an apologist, you also have to be a theologian mm-hmm. and a, his, a little bit of a historian, mm-hmm. a little bit of a scientist, a philosopher, a philosopher. You've got to be able to do these things. Mm-hmm. This is why you have people like William Lane Craig, mm-hmm. who's my favorite apologist of the modern era. Oh, yeah. I, he's just like brilliant to the point of baffling. <laughs> um, and John Lennox. OK. Yeah. Who is a mathematician mm-hmm. and an incredibly smart apologist Mm -hmm. uh they have to have a good understanding of scripture of theology of philosophy and and all of these things in order to be able to because really apologetics as a as a practice is pulling all of these things together and knitting them into a single thing a single Mm -hmm. cloth right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. saying this is how it all works together uh and so justin dabbles in all of these other things as well as you would from that introduction, expect. Mm-hmm. He writes a history of the Jewish scriptures, mm. 
in such a way as to be the first to ever write a Christocentric history hmm. of the world. In other words, to say, you see how all of the Old Testament was pointing to Christ? That's a very common concept we use today. Yeah. Justin, That's biblical theology. That's, Justin was the first yeah. to come outside of the sort of like, I mean, arguably Matthew wow. does a lot of that. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as writing it out as a history and bringing in secular histories outside of the Jews and those kinds of things and saying, see what God was doing all along throughout history in order to point us to Christ and to bring him in at that moment. Mm. Justin writes one of those, a, a noted as a, the first to write a Christocentric history, uh, also noted as an eschatologian. Okay. Uh, he coins the phrase, the second coming of Christ. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Cool. The parousia, okay. the second coming of Christ, yep. his, his word, his term. Cool. Yeah, so he does a lot of different things like that. Nice. Yeah, well, he, he ends up being martyred. Uh, I believe tradition says that um, after besting a pagan philosopher in public debate, out of spite, the guy he was bested made a public complaint to the governor. Not that Justin was hiding the fact that he was a Christian, mm-hmm. but no one was going out of their way to just drag him into the courts. And this guy's like, I'll do it. If you can't beat him, kill him. Yeah, I guess I guess so, man. <laughs> it's pretty intense. It is. And how petty. Like, what a shame. What a shame. Can you imagine? Oh. Yeah, but he had a ton of students that carried on. Oh, for sure. It doesn't die with him. Not at all. No, no, they, they, they just kind of, they continue, they continue the approach. And, and Justin in his writing, will touch on some other things that, that we'll get at. Um, as you mentioned, like the, the battle lines that existed, um, one of them being with heretics, that's something that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in greater detail next week, but maybe we could just, before we close the episode, we talk for a little while just about how this is different and how this is similar than, you know, our, our current modern context. Mm-hmm. How how is this how is this a helpful discussion for for believers today who are listening now? Yeah, I think you were right in the assumption that we we share with them a culture of relativism. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the case. When I say seems, it's definitely our case. It seems to have been the case there too. Mm. Uh, where even though they had the whole like you have to worship the you know the emperor, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean you have to hold that world his worldview, right? Like, if you were to say, like, well, my worship isn't true worship, I basically just say a prayer and throw that little bit of incense on the burner and a couple of coins. That's all it is to me. They'd be like, all right, that's all it is to us either. <laughs> uh, but you Especially didn't, those coins. <laughs> yeah, but but I would also say it's a in some ways it's a masked relativism, mm. right? So here's here's my theory of the circle, all right? Okay. You've heard this before. Probably have. But the <laughs> you're just saying I've only got like four things to say and I repeat them all the time. You're like seven. Uh, but I don't think it's the podcast that's heard this. So used to, there was this concept, in my mind at least, that uh, conservatism and liberalism were aligned with lefts and rights. But I've come to believe it to be a circle. Oh, yeah. This is me being a philosopher. This is great. I totally agree. And, and that what happens is liberalism goes so far left that it becomes right. That becomes far right. Because it circles around, and and extreme leftism is actually extreme right, Mm -hmm. and extreme conservatism is what we call fascist. Yeah. But that we're not making a connection to the Nazis in saying that. That's just what extreme conservatism is. And and so so what happens, I think, in that transitionary moment is that in the idea of tolerance and relativism, Mm -hmm. tolerance and relativism become a thing that people are demanding of. Right. Which is a very narrow mindset. Mm -hmm. And so they're arguing for a broad mindset. Mm -hmm. But if you don't agree with broad mindset, you're out, which is a narrow, exclusive mindset. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I think we hold that in common with Rome. Yeah, oh, totally. Because Rome would have said, we're open to thought. We're open to discussion. We're just mm-hmm. like the Greeks in mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. but they're not. And uh, 
that's very much the world that we are finding ourselves in. Mm-hmm. So I think we have that in common, which means I think we have opportunities to practice apologetics in some ways as they do. Mm-hmm. I think we take from Justin his appeal for humility and allowing us to practice peaceably and noting the contributions we bring to society, which Mm -hmm. insinuates that we are contributing to society Mm -hmm. um, in a positive way. Right. Right. Yeah. I think where it differs in some, in a, in a, in a really key way is that, a lot of the time we spent talking about the way people were coming at the early church, it was in ignorance. Oh, they believe this, they have to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Justin was able to say, no, that's not it. Right. 2,000 years later, people have a pretty good notion what we believe, especially in the West where Christianity has been the dominant worldview mm-hmm. people have a good idea of what we believe oh yeah and now the persecution we may face is based on the truth about what we believe yeah and and it might still be twisted from time to time sure but it's generally not something that is opposite of what it actually is mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um that complicates it for us in in those instances it's a bit more complicated for us than it was for them. Because if they come at us with, you believe this, we can't say, no, that's not true. We actually believe this. We have to go, you're right, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a that's a much harder conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't chop your head off for it at this point, but there might be some people who'd like to. <laughs> I've had those conversations where like, it's like, I think this person wants to kill me maybe because of my perspective on this thing. Maybe socially they do. That's what cancel culture well, that's, is. Maybe that's what it is. It's, the, it's as close to you know being burned alive as they can, uh, they can do <laughs> in the yeah. 21st century. So I, I think we have something to learn mm-hmm. from, from that shared experience. But in the same way, our experience is is very much different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I also understand the stakes are higher for them at this point than it is for us. Totally. Uh, we're not being burned at stake, beheaded, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, in at least in our personal context here in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there is a complication to it that mm-hmm. we have that they didn't have to deal with, uh, which means we need to be good at answering people's questions, yeah. which means we need to be students of the Christian faith so that we're good at answering questions. Mm-hmm. I, When I studied, when I took my course on apologetics in seminary, mm-hmm. um, we were given a book on apologetics. I'd love to recommend it to you. I can't tell you the guy's name. Okay. I don't know how to say it. Looking at it, I just go, that's weird. Um, but he makes this point that has stuck with me forever where he divides apologetics into primary and secondary apologetics. Mm. They are primary and secondary in their chronological order and in their order of importance. Primary apologetics is understanding the things of God and how they apply to the world around us for the increase and the stability of our own faith. Mm-hmm. Secondary is answering the questions of others. Mm-hmm. That will change the way you do apologetics mm-hmm. and the way you look at it. And it takes you away from that whole, ooh, this will get them. Mm-hmm. i like to see them answer this one. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that's the part of apologetics that people don't like is it can end up in this gotcha sure. kind of a thing. I've already mentioned William Lane Craig. Love the man. He'll throw out a couple of gotchas that make people uncomfortable. Sure. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but when the primary issue is like, no, this is about building my own faith mm-hmm. and my own understanding of my God, primarily. Secondarily, I'll share it with others. It just changes the way you study. Sure. And, and that's where I think 
the complications we have mean that we need to be better students. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of Christians wrestle with a fear of looking for the answers to some of these difficult questions that might be posed to Christians, right? That, that challenge the Christian worldview or biblical teaching or whatever it might be. And they're afraid. They're afraid that if they, they seriously consider these questions and that they won't find a suitable answer for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you people who are far more intelligent (laughs) than, than you or I um, Mm -hmm. have gone down that path and found meaningful answers to those questions. And I, and I think, and, and this goes out to, um, the parents and the grandparents who are listening to this, like this is very, very important for you, especially, especially if you're sending your kids to public school mm-hmm. or your grandkids are going to public school or going to university. Like you need to know what they are teaching your children and how to intelligently answer those questions because your children and grandchildren are being taught that there is no intelligent answer from a Christian worldview for any of these questions. And those kids are for the most part, buying it hook line and sinker and and walking away from the faith of their parents before it truly becomes their own and and so please please for the sake of your children for the sake of your grandchildren explore the answers to these questions train yourself be prepared to have those difficult conversations start those difficult conversations and uh and and be willing to do the hard work for their sake please i'm going to hit one harder than that okay when you try to avoid worldview conversations, conversations about evolution, about human rights, um, those kinds of things to say, we're not going to get into those conversations. We're not going to walk down that road. We're just going to believe. You are teaching them that there's no answer in Christian worldview. Yeah. Any doubt that they have, you're reinforcing. Yeah. And if they don't have doubt yet, you've laid a foundation for that doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you've said, bury your head. Yeah. Don't get involved. And I would even I would even challenge to this degree. Do you believe that there is absolute truth? Mm-hmm. Do you believe that that truth is Jesus? Mm-hmm. And that the pursuit of truth leads to Jesus? If you do, stop being afraid of the pursuit of truth. Mm -hmm. If you're still afraid of the pursuit of truth, it might be a question of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. It got deep. It did. Intense. That's how we like it. If you're still here, (laughs) thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. Till next time. The heretics. <laughs>